Welcome to the Principles of Freedom podcast. Here we talk about a higher purpose, personal responsibility, and standing for liberty. I'm Max Brown. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. Welcome to the Principles of Freedom podcast. I'm Max Brown, and my guest today is Dr. Darren Porcher a doctorate from Fordham University after a title of a defense which was reducing school misdemeanor assaults in urban settings through school collaboration between school leaders and police. And since then, over 20 years as an NYPD lieutenant and detective and sergeant and multiple roles within the department, Dr. Porcher is now a criminal justice professor, and I welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Max. It's a pleasure sitting down and having the ability to engage in a discourse on terminal issues that are impacting on society as we see it. It's a big deal. And I'm glad you brought it up just like that, because that's exactly what I was hoping to talk about today. And certainly you have a very personal perspective because you've lived through a lot of things yourself. What's your take on our current status in the United States today? Well, currently, there's a state of acrimony that's been plaguing the United States. We have 327 million people that live in the United States, but subsequently, we're hearing from a loud minority. Mm. The silent majority is totally aligned with the parallels of law enforcement, but this loud minority is subsequently rioting, embarking upon demonstrations that fall outside of the purview of the First Amendment's ability for you to protest peacefully and lawfully. So we're at a crossroad that's very unique. I see gross similarities in what was happening in the early 60s, and it's now the time for us to rein in the state of acrimony and put us back on a pathway to continuing to make the United States the greatest nation on earth. There's just been perils in the large cities that are more so specifically controlled by democratically elected officials, such as New York City, where I reside currently, Chicago, Portland, and Seattle. We're just seeing a total state of acrimony in those places, and the chaos is subsequently expanding into other places. And I think this is a result of what happened in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Is police reform something that we need? Sure. It should be something that's continuous, but reform should not be from the component of defunding or quote-unquote de-policing. When I use the term de-policing, that's the absolute removal as what we saw happen in the Chaz zone in Seattle. We need to come to a more plausible conclusion in terms of how we can move forward and have this symbiotic relationship between police and community. But the radical left is putting a wrench in this and spewing a message that doesn't make sense. It's so difficult because these conversations have become very, it's not even tense anymore. It's actually crossed into some violence, as you've just suggested and shared. I mean, we've all seen the burning and the rioting and the looting, but then there are some who are very sympathetic to it because they're saying but racism is so prevalent. And of course, George Floyd's death, I mean, watching him suffocate, it was disgusting and it was hard and it was, it was painful. So how do you reconcile all of this? What, how, what does this all look like? Because it is hard, but they are rioting and looting, and it just seems like it's anarchy. It doesn't seem like that's a helpful solution, but then some people are saying, but then no one pays attention if they don't riot. What's your take? 
Well, if you read the tea leaves and we go back to the early 90s, I want to say 1994, when Rodney King was beaten by the LAPD, there was an explosion of riots that occurred. And there was clearly no positive result as it relates to the riotous behavior. Unfortunately, the people that are rioting are tearing down the neighborhoods that they reside in. So it's counterproductive. I'm wholeheartedly in on protesting or stating your voice to the higher ups, because if you look at the foundation of this country, we look at the founding fathers such as George Washington, it started with a protest against what was happening when we were under British rule. And that was, quote unquote, illegal. Now we evolve into where we are right now, and it's just a state of chaos and confusion with no plausible outcomes, and the end game is somewhat abstract. I spoke to many people that have actually rioted before, and I said, hey, look, what's the reason for you doing this? Mm-hmm. And they would tell me things such as, look, this is wrong. Okay, fine. If you want to act as a change agent in connection with the mechanism of revolutionizing what's happening. You need to do it in the voters box or it needs to be part of a sound discourse. You need to have an information exchange of ideas between yourself or the group that you're a part of and the elected officials that have the ability to affect change. Mm -hmm. But the mere rioting is only putting your community in harm's way. And I'm speaking to you as an African-American man. The African-American communities in the large cities such as New York City and Chicago are under siege with gun violence, but in no way, shape or form is the riotous behavior doing anything to benefit those communities. So if you are a person that's looking to benefit the communities that you come from, you need to do it in a different manner because the riots, what you're doing is you're now impoverishing the socioeconomic state of those communities because they need to be built back up again. And you're subsequently removing essential services that could be delivered to those communities. I'm nodding my head. You and I, of course, can see each other through the video for our listening audience. They can't see, you know, our facial interactions with one another. But I'm with you. I'm very concerned about where we're headed. As a police detective, as a lieutenant, as a leader, as a trainer, and now you speak at a lot of different high-profile cases in criminal court system, I mean, you've seen a lot of things over 20-plus years. Your reflection, then, on what could we do going forward? When we say we want to defend the police, it's not because we're supporting racism. We're not. We're simply not supporting racism. No, what we all want is quintessential policing. It should be entitled to appropriate policing. And this is something that's afforded to us under the social contract. Mm -hmm. When we think of the social contract, this is where government affords protections to its citizens. In no way, shape or form do we look for or expect over-policing in any community, be it the communities of color or the affluent communities. We just want something that's sound. And when you take in connection, the average on an annual basis, 250 million engagements occur between police officers and citizens. When I say 250 million engagements over the course of one year, this could be either a traffic stop, looking for a lost child, or something that evolves around an arrest. But out of that 250 million engagements or encounters between police and community, there's a very minute component of those interactions that subsequently lead to a police shooting. And I want to say it's upwards of maybe a thousand. 
and that's nationally. And so when you take in consideration 250 million engagements and only 1,000 police shootings, that's a tremendously successful rate. And so we need to get behind and coalesce behind police and understand that, hey, look, they're merely doing what's necessary to afford us the protections and help us. 90% of policing is service oriented. When I say service oriented, it's meaning police giving people directions. You have a lost child, an accident where the officers are assembling documentation, things to that effect. 10% is enforcement related. However, oftentimes when we go to the movies, we see the sensationalism of the enforcement component. And that's the lens that we view policing through. But that's more a minute component than the majority component. And so we have to look at there should be, and in many cases, there is a symbiotic relationship between police and community. That's the partnership that police and community partnership that makes police the robust entity that can effectively protect the community. Because a large part of what police do in connection with arresting individuals or keeping a population safe evolves around tips that they receive from the public. You have a person that lives in a particular neighborhood, they call up and they say, hey, look, you know what, someone's selling drugs in my neighborhood, or there's someone that has killed someone because they're walking around with a gun, and then police will come in and investigate. Police make up, I want to say, out of the 327 million people in the United States, police are roughly eight to 900,000. Eight to 900,000 officers pales in comparison to the intelligence that can be elicited from 327 million people. That's why it's necessary to have that relationship, whereas the public provides the intelligence to police. And that's what makes us a more robust society and capable and able to do great things, continuing to make us the greatest nation on earth. As you speak about needing people to be engaged in this community relationship, I think of the family who actually called the police because of the George Floyd incident where he actually passed a bad bill. He passed a counterfeit bill. They checked it underneath the scanner, and of course it was fake. And so, and this is a young boy as a clerk, right? And he was trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't know what to do. And his boss, I don't know how the relationship is, but they're a family from Pakistan, immigrants to our country, selling their groceries in this little tiny shop. They call the police for help. When the police show up, of course, then we see what happens. And they were actually literally sick to their stomachs watching what was occurring out on the streets in front of their grocery store as well. But since then, they had to close down because they've been looted, rioted, threatened with their own lives for calling the police for help. And now we have police chiefs in a lot of cities, big cities, that are now resigning because they feel like they have no support from their elected officials It's so surreal to me. Like, what is happening here? Why are we attacking people who are trying to do good things? These aren't people trying to hurt people. They don't want to hurt people. But where do we go? You know, when you speak to police chiefs resigning, um, it brings tears to my eyes when I see the police chief in Seattle, Washington, that resigned because she wasn't a recipient of the support of the elected official, that being the mayor. And she was an African-American woman. She was a police chief trying to do what was best for the community that she served. 
In connection with what happened with the George Floyd incident with that family that called police, that was the natural order in how we should handle those types of instances. Call police, don't handle it on your own. And that's what they did. And then it subsequently emerged into a powder keg that's now created a level of chaos throughout the country. And I don't want to use the term they created it, meaning the situation created this chaos. These are law-abiding citizens. I look at what's happening in places like New York City, where I live. We have riotous behavior that is denigrating the city of New York. Portland, Oregon has been experiencing riots and these unlawful protests for over 100 days with nothing being done by elected officials. Enough is enough. You can either make this opportunity or miss this opportunity. And many elected officials have missed this opportunity because by doing nothing, you now allow the problem to exacerbate. And now we have a situation where we're trying to close the gate after the horses escape. And it's a very difficult endeavor. You know, right now, I just look at a lot of these groups, these riotous groups that are out there protesting, being Black Lives Matter or Antifa. One of the things that I see is they are protesting for things that are not impacting upon them. These are people that have never lived in these communities. They've never understood the aspect of the dynamic of racism. And it's unfortunate. I see a lot of white people that are part of groups like Black Lives Matter that are experiencing white guilt. And that white guilt, in many ways, is driving them to commit to these organizations that they have little understanding of. So these organizations will step to the forefront, riot, burn down these neighborhoods, and then you have a following of people that truly don't understand the ideology outside of what they saw on television. They may see something that says, you know, there's racism, black people are suppressed. I'm sure that this is something that happens in places, but if you're going to partner with an organization, you really need to do your due diligence and assess the tenets of that organization as to what they stand for. And then you make your assessment as to whether you're looking to become a member of it. When we look at Antifa, for example, there's no true hierarchy in Antifa. It's more of a movement than anything else. All I see Antifa doing is creating a state of anarchy and destruction. You can either build or destroy. When I look at Antifa, the focus is destroy, not build. Where's the end game? There's no end game. We will look at what happened in Seattle a couple of months ago. They erected something they referred to as the Chaz Zone. This is the quote unquote, no police zone. What was the outcome of that? Multiple homicides, multiple assaults, because you didn't have police in that area. So it goes back to us being a sane society. We need police and we don't need to be over police. We just want a qualified and capable police force to protect us as citizens to ensure that our liberties are standing and we can go to the store. We don't have to worry about being assaulted. We can erect the business and we don't have to worry about people coming in and trying to rob us or assault us as a result. We just want to live in a safe and tranquil environment. And unfortunately, the loud minority is driving a narrative that is subsequently taking us back as opposed to moving us forward. You're brave, I think, and you're speaking very boldly. Why do this? Why take this risk and speak out the way you are when you put your own livelihood and life at risk to talk about things like this? 
it seems very unpopular for those, like you said, this loud minority who want to attack anything that goes against or at least challenges their narrative. I look at where I stand as a person. You can stand for something or you can fall for anything. And so as it relates to standing for something, I've clearly understood that the disease is crime that's plaguing our nation and the cure is law enforcement. You have to get on one side of the fence. You can't be in the middle. There's no middle ground. If a cop is doing something wrong, that police officer needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. If a citizen is doing something wrong, the same holds true. So my position in this equation is I want to speak to what I believe is right in my heart. And that's why we're engaging in this discourse as we speak. How are people responding to your message when you speak to them in the classrooms or with colleagues or other professionals as, as you're out there working and sharing this message? You have people that are either 100% for what I'm saying or diametrically opposed to it. I can understand that. This is a free country. This is my position. I'm speaking as Darren Porcher. And so this is my monolithic view of the way I view society. Universally, you'll have people that see things differently. But this is my perspective and this is where I stand. I was in Singapore last year. And it was just amazing to, you chew gum over there, <laughs> you chew gum, you get locked up. But they maintain a tight ship over there, you know. There's no drug use, robberies, out of the question. You know, the crime rate is extremely low, and they do what's necessary to marshal in a tranquil and law-abiding society. And I'm not saying that we need to go to the extremes in connection with what, how they practice their democracy in Singapore. But at the same token, I just think that we're going in a bad direction and someone needs to come in and right the ship. I appreciate that you'd come on and spend a few minutes with us today to share your experience and to be able to speak out about what's really happening and what we can all do. Anything to remember from this conversation today, how would you summarize what we've talked about and what people can do? In closing, I think that we all need to understand that we're in this together. We're in this as one. We need to refer back to the unification after 9-11. September 12th of 2001, we unified as a country like never before. This is the time where all hands need to be on deck and understand that this is about the United States. It's not about you as an individual. Therefore, we need to coalesce behind a strategy that's going to move us forward in a positive direction, not be torn down and driven in directions of acrimony that have been plaguing this nation. We're better than that, and we need to show it to the rest of the world. Dr. Darren Porcher, thank you for being on the show today and for sharing your thoughts and your experience. I pray for our country. I pray for peace. I pray for unity as you do, and I join you in that. I appreciate that you would come on and just share your experience, not only as a, a former NYPD officer and leader, but also as a concerned citizen, and as a professor who's out there trying to help us understand these things better. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, God bless your listeners, and God bless the United States of America. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. To support the podcast, visit us at principlesoffreedompodcast.com. We'll see you next time.